Welcome to the nursing note bonus episode of People Are Wild. I couldn't think of a better way to observe the 420 holla blaze of sorts than with this extra special episode. See, today I'm talking with my friend Amanda, who is an amazing respiratory therapist. She'll tell you what it means to be an RT and some of the trippiest things she's seen throughout her profession. I hope everybody enjoys it and maybe leave a light on while listening. With me today is an awesome respiratory therapist who is also my friend, who I conned to be here with me tonight or today, whenever you're listening to this, I conned you. Go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Amanda. Um, I have had the privilege of working with Kim in a professional setting. I'm an RT, respiratory therapist extraordinaire. Yeah, she's also very humble. So Amanda's here with me to talk a little bit about some more of the roles that go into the hospital beyond nursing, beyond doctors, all the people that work together to make things better for patients and their family members, especially our lovely respiratory therapists who know a lot about machines that go beep and have alarms like vents. Those are important, I've heard. What does a respiratory therapist actually do in the hospital versus also in the ER because there is some, I guess, differences with hospital versus the ER versus ICU. Definitely. Well, I just want to start out by saying when I started respiratory therapy school, I didn't even know what it was or what they did, but they had no wait to get into the program. So I was like, that sounds great. Sign me up. Um, (laughs) I'm on board. So I don't really know that this profession is very well known to people. I think People think, I want to be a nurse, I want to be a doctor, maybe I want to be a physical therapist, but a lot of people don't know the other professions that are involved in healthcare. So I'm a respiratory therapist, it's an associate or a bachelor's degree, and in a hospital, deal with people with COPD and asthma typically, and we give them, there's a ton of different nebulizer treatments that do different things. And depending on what your condition is and how responsive you are to the medicine, you'll get that either twice a day, uh, every four hours, you name it, once a day even. But we try to get people on the right meds and work with the doctors and everybody else and, you know, get the best outcomes for the patients. We'll also take care of people with artificial airways, and that's usually a tracheostomy, which goes through the throat, or an endotracheal tube, which is the tube that goes in your mouth and helps you ventilate on a ventilator. And that's you know, kind of like what you, when people say they pulled the plug on somebody, usually that means they stopped ventilating them um, or took them off pressers. Right. Uh, or, you know. But really, yeah, people think about, I think, like pulling the plug as like a machine and that would be like the ventilator. Literally. Right. Which is fun when you actually uh-huh. do pull a plug on a ventilator because nothing really happens because they all, for the most part, run on their own power modules anyways. Right. So. So when you exactly. do that, you can, like, really trip out your friends. You can be like, uh, oh, there was, like, an episode of Seinfeld where I forgot who it was woke up with, like, um, the plug in their hand after, like, they had a procedure, like one of the characters <laughs> did, and they were just like, what? <laughs> where did that saying come from, pull the plug? I don't know. I guess at the time, probably, there was a lot more reliance on things being powered by electricity, so if you did pull the plug, it was like, well, that's it. Oh, that's it. We're done. Well, like, what if you tripped over it? I know. That's the scariest thing. I've tripped over a few ventilator tubes and been like, oops. Well, I tripped over, a, you know, one of those continuous dialysis machines that they have in the ICU. <laughs> I tripped over the plug for that, and that puppy uh, stops, and then you have to, like, reprime the whole tubing. I feel like such a jerk. The nurse was probably like, well, there's that. <laughs> that- she wasn't even that mean about it, which I give her so much credit for. I was like, I am so sorry. What the- can I do for you? <laughs> do you want me to call somebody? I'm so sorry. Is the patient going to be okay? You don't want to be the reason why this person all of a sudden decompensates because you just were clumsy. Oh, oh my goodness. I am that clumsy though. What else do RTs do? That's a lot of it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff about pH in the blood and ventilating and it gets a little technical with that with uh yeah it gets technical with the good old uh, what are your vent settings that you we always ask you guys before we even ask for your name it's like what are the vent settings also hi it's nice to meet you right um this patient needs suctioning hi what's your name yeah i think i i think i call rt a lot for deep suctioning purely because i don't like to do it not because i don't know how oh the truth comes out oh yeah absolutely And you know that's 
You know nurses do that a lot. Come on now. We just don't like deep suctioning. I think we just don't like it in the ER if we can avoid it. And on the ICU, you, that's just kind of your way of life is that you, you do a lot of your own interventions or you're working with other people like another nurse or sometimes right. an RT too. But I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I do. I did work ICU for a while and I have recently too. And we did a lot of like the stuff for the patients. We did a lot of the suctioning. We did a lot of the repositioning. We did a lot of the care around whatever. So it's kind know. of a team thing. Yeah, and RT would come as a supportive role just to be like, hey, are you guys good or do you need me to do it? And if we were able to do it, we would just do it and they would help us out. It's different than in the ER when we're just like, hey, can you just like look at this tube real quick? Because I just don't really know if there's something wrong with it, which I don't think there's anything wrong with either situation. But I feel like in the ER, the reason you're asking is because your vital signs dictate that you need to look at it. And you're like, I don't know what's going on. And I don't necessarily have the right like lead about what's going on. But I know that their oxygen levels going down. So can somebody please help me versus like in the ICU where you're just like, well, you know, I might need your help. But maybe it's more supportive as like, let's, you know, can you actually physically hold the tube so I can like clean this person and do like oral care and, and all their stuff? Or can you look at the trach just to do the collar? And all that stuff is team stuff. Like, and I don't have a problem at all with somebody calling me and going, do you think this looks right? Do you think this patient's still okay? What, like, can you help me with something? All that stuff I think is really important. And I never want a nurse to be afraid to call for like just another set of eyes and I mean I think that's really important because there might be something I can't even tell you how many times I've walked into a room and something is maybe really easily fixable or something that just maybe the nurse didn't know about or just another set of eyes can really it's happened to me too like I'll be like what's wrong why can't I figure it out somebody walk in and be like you've got them hooked up to the air instead of oxygen or something like that you know you're like I don't even see it because you're so caught up in so many other things and you know I really do want want the best thing for the patient I don't mind helping people out you know if it's you don't want a deep section or whatever I mean it's fine that's what I do too so I think it's something we can all share it's something that it's important you know how to do in an emergency but absolutely but I think it's also kind of like if you have a lot of tasks going on with another patient but you know that you know, every three or four hours, there needs to be a deep suction on your other patient. You can always give RT a ring and you're like, hey, I've got a situation going on, but I know that my patient in room two needs a deep suction and I just can't do it. Do you mind? Right. If you communicate that and you're not an asshole, everybody's going to be, yes, let me help you. Because the consequences of not doing it are worse than, you know, anything that might, might be annoying somebody by in an emergency room setting what we do basically is the same thing kind of like nurses do is you assess treat stabilize and then ship them to somewhere else that's going to take care of them more of a maintenance standpoint so in the er if it's you know worst case scenario something like a trauma or um like a semi or heart attack stroke something like that will help them place an airway which is like an et tube ventilate the patient because they're assuming we're not they're not breathing appropriately so that's that. Um, otherwise, we do really basic things like breathing treatments for people with COPD, or um, you can maybe put them on BiPAP, which is like what that really sexy machine is that people wear at night with the Darth apnea. Vader mask. Super sexy. And in the hospital setting, we just you know keep them alive, make them better, and, and try to get those tubes out and get them home. But it's more a little bit more delicate, more fine tuned. But in the ER, it's like let's stabilize them. You know, kind of like what you guys do. Yeah, it's a lot of, like, what's going on right now? We need to fix things that aren't functioning normally. And then once you fix them, right. that's that's when you take that step back and you're like, okay, now what? Oh, okay. Now right. we, can, we can send them to the right. floor. Do they need to be sent to another hospital or do they need to go somewhere mm-hmm. else where they need better re- better or different resources or pediatrics, especially pediatrics? That's got to be actually challenging, too, because... The thing with some, I guess, emergency room stuff is that you can choose to an extent. I mean, you can choose whether or not you want to be in pediatrics or um, adults because you can work at like a children's hospital and be specific for that population. Or you can work at certain hospitals that take both or, you know, don't. Actually, one of the, yeah, one of the hospitals I worked at, it was separated. The ER was kids and adults and 
if you didn't have enough training for the kid's side, you never saw a kid. So unless it was like super life threatening and then you went to trauma and then you went over to the kid's side anyways. So you basically never saw a kid. And in respiratory therapy, don't you have to be like well versed across everything because you could be called in for anything, even if you were in that sort of hospital, you could be called down Um, for pediatrics, right? In theory, I mean, I think it's kind of like nursing. If you're in the emergency room in a really, really small hospital and you don't have specialties, maybe you don't have a pediatric section and a baby's brought in, you just do the best you can and then you stabilize them and send them to a a hospital that specializes in children. I don't have a ton of experience with children, but mostly what I've done is just stabilize them and send them somewhere else. And I think that's something that patients don't realize either, is they'll just bring a baby into a hospital and think it's a hospital, they'll know what to do. But they don't necessarily. I mean, if it's something really simple, they do. But if it's something more critical, you want to try to take your baby to a a children's hospital. That's actually a really, really good point, especially during like cold and flu seasons when there's really sick kiddos out there. There are some parents that are really good about trying not to stop at smaller hospitals because they know that their kids are going to be shipped to uh, regional children's centers, wherever you want to call them. And Mm -hmm. they try not to make a pit stop into smaller rural hospitals, but obviously if their kid's not doing well, they know... Right, it's critical. Yeah, they know that it's better to get something, like you said, stabilized, and then the hospital can ship them out. But it's totally right that a lot of people don't realize that Yes, we have training with pediatric stuff, but the hospital doesn't have pediatric, I don't know, across the board. Yeah, it's not like, you know, every hospital has a pediatric uh, neurologist and a pediatric gastroenterologist. Those are so specialized that... There's no way that you can be like, yeah, every hospital has this when you live in a town of, like, 10,000. Right. And, the, you know, people show up at hospitals, like, actively in labor that don't have labor and delivery. Well. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> right? And you guys just have to be ready for that. I've Anything never had to deliver door. a baby, and I hope I don't have to. But I definitely uh-huh. have heard the horror stories of people helping somebody out of a car and then ending up with, like, a baby in their hands because, like, the mom was in labor. And, of course, their Voicera or Walkie or Spectralink or whatever you use to talk to people in your unit doesn't right. work at that time. <laughs> or you're in a basement and it just doesn't get your signal. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm holding a newborn and <laughs> I can't really leave. That would be a crazy experience. It might be kind of cool to, like, bring life into the world just not really have to do much. I hear it's more like a catching. Just kind of facilitating facilitating yeah. the baby out. You're just like, oh, right. there's a baby. You talked about the training for respiratory therapy. I mean, is it schooling? Is it clinicals? Is it years and years? Or depends on what no. route you take? It's a pretty new profession. So they just started, not just, but, you know, more recently started with bachelor's programs. But... Typically, like my program was, after the prerequisites, it was a year and a half straight of classroom and clinical. They do have master's degree programs, different stuff, but it, it's a little bit, it's still a work in progress, the, the master's degree programs, but... It's kind of like, like physical therapy. A little, well, a little bit less streamlined, but there, I know there's some different um, universities that are working on making different master's programs. That's cool. So there's a I lot, never knew that. A lot fewer of us than nursing sure but I feel like every single hospital and I know you can kind of attest to it given what you currently do with respiratory therapy I feel like every single hospital utilizes a respiratory therapist yes almost I don't think I've worked at a hospital where they haven't had well wait did that maybe one hospital and that was in a very small town where they they just didn't have respiratory therapy 24-7. Like, they would have them during the day. Right. I know in North Carolina, they have to have a respiratory therapist on staff. I worked in a a standalone ER that had to have an RT on staff at all times. And they didn't really have that many respiratory therapy things to do, so I just kind of did a little bit of everything, and that involved but was not limited to cleaning rooms, 
dipping urine, assisting in pelvic exams, starting IVs, things like that. Well, and that's not uncommon either. I mean, even at some of the hospitals I've worked at, uh, the respiratory therapists do EKGs, patient transports. Oh, yeah. A bunch of different stuff. They do a lot They'll of different do, things. They um, lines, central lines. And, of course, ABGs. Arizona, the good old ABGs that nurses can do if they know how to do, but RT is preferred. Yeah, the arterial blood gas. The good old. Always fun. People love that. What's your, like, do you have an ABG horror story? Did you ever, like, hit Mm. one and let it spurt a little bit? We're talking arteries, yo. (laughs) They they do um, tell you that all these horrible things can happen, but I've never had it. Oh, like Like, the nerves? You you lacerate an artery and they lose circulation, they lose a limb, like something horrible. Obviously, that's a possibility, but that's totally worst case. I think probably the worst thing thing I've had is somebody who was HIV positive and confused and they wanted a blood gas and he was moving all over the place and jerking his arm and you know I'm trying to hold a needle in his artery and you have like this moment where you're like I'm gonna get a needle stick and this is right this is gonna change my life I'm like questioning all my life choices like what was I doing (laughs) man needle stick injuries are the worst I've only had one and that was scary enough and it is like you think of everything, even if your patient doesn't have something like a hepatitis or HIV or whatever, you're like, oh my God, it's going to happen. Even though it's not even in their medical history, you're like, it's going to happen somehow. How did you get stuck? I had an equipment malfunction. So I was wearing my gloves and I was starting an IV on a patient and they didn't jerk away or anything. I was going to retract retract the needle and it didn't mm-hmm. slide all the way. And so when I went to kind of cap it to throw it away, the needle was still out and it poked me right through my glove. Oh, no. Yeah. I that. Yeah. And like I took off my glove and I was like, please don't be a needle stick. And it was. They say that the glove wipes it off, though. Have you heard about that? What? Yeah, the, the wiping thing. Like, uh, I don't really know how much stock I put in it, but one of the hospitals I worked at had some orientation that was like trying to make you feel better. Like if you get the glove kind of wipes off the blood. <laughs> I don't know. Is that their way of I saying, mean, please don't report this? Right. Like, you'll probably be okay. Don't stress. Yeah. By the way, I just looked it up. There's a, hundred and, a little over 130,000 RTs in the U.S. That's such a small subset. It really is. It's but very do you... small. There's only a couple countries that have them. So do Usually you nurses feel... do everything. Well, do you feel like... It is a growing profession, or there's, like, a shortage, or what? Like, you know, with nurses, they're always like, it's a nursing shortage, it's gonna be really bad in 10 years, and every 10 years they say it's gonna be worse. I know, and then, like, there's a backlog, people waiting four years to get into nursing school. Right. I think it's a growing profession, and depending on what, how motivated RTs are, and how much we stick up for our profession and advocate for our skills, I feel like there's lots of different directions we could go, I mean... In North Carolina, they assist with uh, ECMO. And like I said, in Arizona, they do pick lines, yeah. central lines, ports. Like they do placements? You know, I mean, yeah, more like advanced skills. And and I feel like that could be more nationwide. They could, I don't know, there, there's, there's kind of a niche that they could fill if everything works out well. We'll see what happens. I, I hope it's a growing profession. I think it is. I think it is, too. That's interesting how you said that there's only, like, a few countries that use RTs because nurses do a lot. International nursing is a bit odd in and of itself with what nurses can do and, you know, from country to country, depending on their education and their skill set and what they're comfortable with. Right. Because I remember reading on one of those forums with, like, all nurses with somebody talking about international nursing about how some of the nurses have never started an IV. And I'm like, well, that's so weird. Right, like, that seems essential. Yeah, but they're, they've they never started one. They're not trained to. Wow. You know, I, I worked with a guy who went over to Vietnam to um, volunteer and help out in one of the hospitals over there. So they have a lot of accidents with, uh, like, motorcycles and mopeds. People have traumatic injuries to their brain so what they do is they'll intubate them and the family takes turns ambu bagging them what so the family takes turns doing life-saving rescue breathing yeah here just do a couple of breaths every minute on their family member yeah so basically family or friends or whatever will rotate through (laughs) and you know get that 
forearm workout involves in helping somebody breathe. There's really not a lot of science behind that, obviously. And we're carefully controlling respiratory rate, tidal volume, and positioning here in the States and over there. They're like just ventilating them, uh, protecting their airway, basically. They're like, oh, are you friends with Ronnie? Well, if you want to see him, you have to bag him for 20 minutes. Right, right. We're rotating through. (laughs) You know, grandma can only do it for five, so we're going to have to cover for her. You know, like, I don't know. And then we used to have foreign exchange students that came from Taiwan, and they'd come and they'd shadow us for a month and learn what we did in this country as RTs and go back. And, I mean, they were learning our language. They knew medical terminology in English and Mandarin or Cantonese. I can't remember. But do you even imagine? I mean, I feel like they're so much more advanced than we are. Well, their brain's, like, just constantly working over things. Right? Did you just pour yourself another glass of wine? I did. (laughs) That's what's going to take this special episode to a whole nother level is this glass of wine. Yeah, it's brought to you by Sauvignon Blanc. We're name dropping. If you asked why all RTs smoke, which I don't agree with because I don't smoke. but you're not all RTs. But why is it Uh, that? That it happens a lot. Like, I've always asked people that. Don't you... Okay, how many people smoked in your program? Because, yes, there are nurses that smoke, but I feel like RTs are always out there. So, okay, the old school RTs smoke a lot more than younger RTs. I think there were 14 people in our program, and probably two people smoked. Pretty good. Pretty significant, actually, if you consider, I think, like... 17% of the population smokes or something like that. Well, the other thing, too, Uh, is that a lot of hospitals are nicotine-free, and you have to walk to, like, a designated area away from from people, like, 10, 15 minutes away from where you probably your building is. Right. In order to have your smoke break, so... And then there's a lot of places where they won't even hire you unless you're actively either quitting or you don't smoke. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but in a way, are you limiting people's freedom? If they want to, they can, right? Well, and also, like, if that's their coping mechanism, do you want somebody who's, like, amped up, ramped up? Or do you want someone who's, like, just got to take a smoke break and then they could do their job fine? Um, I want to take a break there and just say amped up, ramped up is an amazing phrase. I really, I really enjoy that. I think if people want to smoke, they can. Um, RTs definitely know what can happen, and I think it's the same that people think they're invincible, they've got to die from something, any of the above. But I do personally, side note, think that it's okay for people that smoke to pay a little bit more in health insurance, because it is such a big cause, a known risk factor in uh, heart disease, cancer, all the above. And it's definitely a preventable one. That's that's one that you have 100% control over. Absolutely. So I would, I'm going to agree with that, that there definitely should be something like a, not a penalty, but kind of like a understanding that if you're going to smoke, you got to, yeah. you got to pony up a little bit more on that health insurance. It's Right. Yeah. I worked at a hospital that charged, it was like $10 more, a pre, like a pay period or something like that if you're like a smoker Um, if you were a smoker yeah but the other thing too is that they get like like isn't it federally mandated smoke breaks are 10 to 15 minutes long or something that's what i know of but that'd be sweet maybe i made that up but i like it i'm gonna become a smoker if that's the case i don't know my brother's in the military and he said that they get extra breaks if they're smokers maybe that's what i'm thinking of like Maybe. maybe it's not mandated or like federally doled out but I've, i want to say like there's something where it's like if you're a smoker you can you can take a right. break like it's like your employment is like oh okay fine but just go into the smoke designated right. smoke area i think i think most empl- it's like completely acceptable to go outside for a cigarette but if you were just like i want to go outside and stand <laughs> for 10 minutes in the sun people will be like yeah, i am not covering for you like it, it's really interesting I have had jobs before where I was like, I'm going to go have a cigarette and walked outside and didn't smoke. But, you know, that was Pizza Hut and I was 16. (laughs) And you just didn't want to be in Pizza Hut anymore. Or it stuck. It's ruined Pizza Hut forever for you. Now, maybe what also ruined something for you would be a horrible, gross patient story. Give me... Good segue. Give me your gory details. Yeah, that's called professionalism. I'm a professional interviewer. I I think you're going to 
do big things. I like it. Thank you. Okay, amped up, ramped up. Amped up, ramped up. That's what I'm going to call uh, this episode. <laughs> I like it. Is there a song with that title? No, but there should be, and I'm just going to call it that anyways. So I know you prepped me for this question, <laughs> gross thing, and I am having a really hard time deciding. Well, then say um, whatever. I had a patient that had his tongue cut off. What? I'm not sure how exactly. Wait, so <laughs> no one gave you background about how this man had his tongue cut off. I don't remember exactly. It must not have been too dramatic. <laughs> you just completely block that out. Is there a way that that could be not traumatic, like really dramatic? I mean, it's not like you get your tongue stuck in a machine. I just what? keep thinking about a Christmas story when he gets his tongue <laughs> stuck on that pole. Yeah, that's definitely what happened. That, that's... That's the answer. And to then that. somebody came by and just sliced it off instead of just warming the area around it. You know what? I felt really comfortable with this, not this thing in my life, this experience, until now you've questioned and I don't know the answer okay, to I'm sorry. what happened to this. Time. Okay, just continue with the story. I'm just going to accept this glaringly big oh. missing detail. It w- would it make sense? He, was in an, he bit it off in oh. an accident where he hit his chin on the ground. That could happen, because I've seen some teeth get knocked out by that way, so that's a lot of force. Gosh, I think it's something like that. Anyway, it was a while ago. I can subscribe to that. They reattached his tongue in medical amazingness, and when they did it, in order to, you know, ensure perfusion to the appendage, they put leeches on it. They put leeches on his tongue? Yeah, in his mouth. Well, wait, how do you keep that in your mouth, then? Mm, you, you just stick your tongue out. I don't know. <laughs> he was sitting there with his tongue out because it was swollen, and there were four or five black spots on it. And I was like, what's that? Oh, leeches. Oh, okay. Do they move? What? Oh, yeah. They're medical grade, which is interesting. They're sterile leeches. It's like sterile maggots. Right. Like, how do you make a maggot sterile? I don't know. It seems like a contradiction. But medical grade leeches, and apparently they're super effective. And, um, you know, kind of medieval, which is fun. Wouldn't that be kind of cool to have that story to be like, yeah, my tongue got cut cut in half. I don't know how, but uh, they reattached it and they had to put leeches in there to reperfuse it. I feel like, and then you, that would immediately be followed by you sticking your tongue out and showing them the scar. Like, that would be the next thing Logical you did thing. every time. Absolutely. You want to see my <laughs> scar? Like, chicks dig scars. Chicks dig scars. If yeah. It, but wait, wouldn't that be like the perfect segue for some guy to be like, hey, baby, you want to see some tongue action? And be like, excuse me? And he's like, no, really, look at my scar on my tongue. And be like, oh, yeah, really. oh, that's really. actually quite interesting. I thought you were just being gross. I would still think that person was kind of a tool, but it would be more of an appropriate segue. Right? I'd be like, okay, you, you're working with what you have, but it's right. kind of creepy. I- and I'm... I'm not on board, but I'm a little on board. So wait, what's your second story then? Well, I have one that's kind of weird. Not so much the grossest thing I've ever seen, because, you know, that's probably going to involve snot and sputum and disgusting stuff like that. The worst thing ever. That's the thing I hate most, is sputum and mucus and any of that. Secretions. Like, when you do the... (laughs) The stupid suction... And then we call you guys and we're like, can you guys do a deep suction on this trach patient? And then we leave the room because we don't want to be there. No, I don't really want to be there either. That's not my favorite (laughs) thing in the world. Like I said, I didn't know what arts did. I just signed up for the program because they didn't have a wait and they were hiring when I looked on uh, job sites. So that's where I was in my life. I just wanted a job. But they do deal with a lot of phlegm, sputum, whatever you want to call it. Can we call it lung butter? Yeah, lung disgusting thank you (laughs) but you know you get kind of used to that that stuff after multiple um, exposures and it just becomes another thing and ultimately it is really nice to get that stuff out patient feels better and you really are helping them and that's the big thing and it you know it it is it gets to the point where you're like i'm gonna go in there and get that i'm gonna suction that thing out of that like a little like weird like a loogie almost where you're like i'm gonna get it i'm gonna get it i'm gonna get it I'm Look at it! That. There it is! There it is! <laughs> Look at it, the tubes! I'm gonna go in there and get that. <laughs> so anyway, you know, there's that. But that's just—I don't even know how to really quantify the volume of that stuff I've dealt with. But yeah, we call you guys um, for a lot of sputum samples, mm-hmm, especially yeah, on little kids. Get out those boogers! <laughs> 
get them out. Yeah, go get them. Get them out. Um, anyway, so I was going to tell about this guy that I had. Um, he had a, gosh, I think it was a melanoma or some sort of large lesion on his cheek, right? Mm-hmm. So they went and they had to remove a lot of skin on his cheek. And when they do that, you know, they want to graft skin from somewhere else on your body in order to cover the space. So if you were thinking, this is my face, this is what the world sees of me. Right. What would be the worst part of my body to take skin from? Just spitball a few ideas at me. What do you think would be the worst part of your body? For like a skin graft? Yeah, like on your face. Uh, your butt. Because you could be like a butter face. <laughs> oh my god. That wouldn't even be that bad. Like, you mean your butthole? Because <laughs> that would be bad. You know, I think that area is very sensitive around your butthole. So, I don't um, know if they use that for skin graft. I, I, I'd have to consult oh. with a, a dermatologist that does, <laughs> that does uh, retrieval of like, tissues. Right, so I always thought they just took it from, like, your thigh or, like, your stomach or just some part that had a lot of skin, right? Right. Um, like, armpit, that would really be a bad place. So this guy got a belly button on his face. What? They took skin from his belly in the belly button region and grafted it onto his cheek. I asked about it because I had to. I couldn't just not say something. Right. Uh, involving why. Did you choose that particular area? <laughs> and they were like, that had the best and like the most similar blood flow to that of that part of the cheek. So your cheek and your belly button region are pretty much the same thing. Apparently. I don't know that. I mean, that's definitely not in my scope of education, but. My mind is blown. I wouldn't have picked that. I just wouldn't have. I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have been first in my list. If you were to get a skin graft, where would you want it to be from? You know, like uh, my thigh, probably. You know, like, take that. That seems like a good skin. Like a little bit of liposuction, maybe? Oh, if only. <laughs> if only they it worked just, like, like that. Rearrange some body fat. That'd be amazing. I think they can, can't they? I'm sure they can. I'm sure they're... I feel like skin grafts actually have come such a long way in terms of just what they can do that... Like your textbook... Not textbook, but what you thought old school for skin grafts being kind of like taking these huge sections of people. I think now they don't have to take as much. And they use... No, a, I don't think so. And they use like people's own stem cells and sometimes that actually grows the tissue back. Right. Which is fascinating. Yeah. That's a whole another thing that is beyond us because we're just a nurse and an RT but what is not beyond us is this question okay everybody I feel like in healthcare has like those patient stories that stick with them for some reason and not because they're just gross but but just like it's it's memorable to you in some way beyond just an obvious like oh that guy has leeches on his tongue but you know, just the ones that stay with you, maybe from a more emotional or mental perspective. Right. Do you have any like that, that like you've seen, especially as yeah. an RT? Because oh, yeah. cause um, you deal, you're dealing with a lot of stuff we do. You, you deal with vented patients who right. are, are in their teen years who got into a bad accident. Yeah, you know that's the story I was going to tell. Because that's the you stories that... that a little bit, but I feel like it's just like something you relate to is young people getting into bad accidents through no fault of their own sometimes. Right. And you can't help but empathize. I think I have a lot of patients that one way or the other, as much as you try to just kind of be numb, their story sticks with you. You know, one way or the Absolutely. other, like you've connected with them or their family and, you know, something horrible happens to them or something great and you don't forget it. Because we're human, you know, you can't just not care and not see things. But the story that really sticks out to me does involve a teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, did I tell you this story? But Mm. uh, I was working in the ICU in that one hospital we happened to work in together. Okay. And uh, so in that particular region, there was a lot of addiction. So there was a lot of homelessness, a lot of repeat patients, which you were familiar with in the ED. There was a lot of mental health issues. All those things kind of go together. And uh, we had a patient that came into the ICU, and he was um, in a hypertensive crisis and also had not taken any of his psych meds. So it's like a double he whammy. Was in his ro- yeah, he was in his room freaking out, just 
jumping on things, yelling. He let anybody take his blood pressure, which is obviously critical. Uh, wouldn't take his clothes off to put the gown on. Wouldn't let anybody do anything. He was doing horrible things in that room by himself that nobody wanted to witness. Oh, that's... You know, that's so if that can paint an accurate picture of this patient, he was sick and angry and disgust like not disgusting but just doing things that he wouldn't do in public he's in there and he's yelling and he's just going on and on and on and on he won't stop talking about one person he's like alex he's like get out of here alex stop being in my room i don't want to talk to you alex i know that they can't see you he was saying stuff like that and then later on he started saying you know go to the light. He's like, go to the light, Alex. Just go. He's yelling. He's like, go. He's like, get out of my room. Just go. And he's like, I don't know why people like you bother me. So that's what's going on in that room. And, and everybody's kind of writing it off. Like, you know, not in his right mind at the moment. So simultaneously, there was a patient that was a late teenager who'd been in a car accident and suffered a traumatic injury to his head and was brain dead clinically and we were just kind of working him up because the family had decided that they wanted to make him a transplant candidate sure so which is also a really great thing um so multiple people benefit from something terrible but the 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 process takes a couple days it does um and the patient is you know brain dead they're unresponsive they're being supported by mechanical ventilation and a bunch of different drugs and IVs and catheters and things like that. So once we finally got all that stuff in line, we took him down to the OR and they harvested his organs. And simultaneously, and I don't know why nobody even realized this, the guy in the hypertensive crisis curled up and went to bed. And uh, the nurse taking care of it and it connected all the pieces. And she's like, he just kept yelling, Alex, 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 Alex. And then... We were like, oh, Alex was the patient that just had his organs harvested. Stop it. Which was pretty mind-blowing, oh you know? my gosh. Like, is that, I mean, that asks so many questions. Like, is I have, like, is that I have, patient? did you have goosebumps? Were you just like, what? Totally. Oh, my totally God. Goosebumps. It's, uh, it's crazy, you know? Like, what? are these people in their schizophrenic or or whatever crisis, are they able to see things that we're not able to see? Are people that are brain dead, quote unquote, present? You know, I feel like yeah. there's a lot of questions that there's no way that that patient would have known the other patient's name. I mean, maybe he's just yelling a name that's common, or maybe he was there. I don't know. I just think that's a really interesting story. That's one of the crazier things I'm no. sure that you've ever encountered. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there'll be people that are like, oh, the hospital's haunted or something vague. But you don't have any, like, definite, this is a story that really resonates. So. The hospital is haunted. Like, the ER and ICU are always haunted. People die there. I don't understand why people don't think it's haunted. It's a religious hospital sometimes that I've worked at. And they're like, well, you definitely don't have ghosts here. It's like, why? What? <laughs> why does the fact that it's a religious hospital mean we don't have ghosts? Wouldn't we have more ghosts because it's a religious hospital? What about, like, people that don't believe or bad people or, I don't know. I mean, are there categories of people that would fall through the cracks? I don't know. I mean, I've never seen a ghost. Have you? No, I've not. I don't think I've seen a ghost, but I think I've, like, felt a presence? I don't know. It's interesting. I I mean, I do not rule things out. Maybe there are. I, I haven't seen them. But if anything's haunted, it would be... Some place where somebody died traumatically, suddenly, unexpectedly, with, with things that they meant to do yet. All yeah. those things that you hear about in all these stories. And it would be in a hospital. But Absolutely. I've never seen anything. What is the best part, then, for you about being an RT? You're not just an RT, but you're also a travel RT. So is there pros and cons of either? Or are they similar experiences? Or is the fact that you're like me, where... Every three months, you can just be like, all right, this has been nice, but I'm going to go to my next place. Yeah, that is nice. Well, I think I like being an RT. I like the flexibility. Um, I've always been somebody that could never sit still in a cubicle. Um, So I get to go all over the hospital and work with all different patients. And, you know, I I really appreciate that. Um, As a traveler, it's a bit of a downside. If you're afraid of meeting new people or you don't like new things, I would (laughs) recommend not 
being a traveler, but acclimating to different hospitals, how they do things, how they chart, you know, different social aspects or even things that are as simple as like, how do I clock in and where yeah. do I park, stuff like that. It's, it's all a change and it's something I like, but I think some people it would not be for them. As a traveler, it's kind of a benefit because you're really not involved in the politics of the office. That's the best part. Uh, yeah, that is pretty much the best part. You don't have to care. You don't care. Caring as typical. in like you don't have to care about yeah. the interpersonal coworker drama. Like you care about your patients, right. but you basically do your shifts, and you cost too much money for them to bring you on it overtime consistently. So like your days off are your days off. Hey, they're not going to call you in typically. Although I've typically. gotten, I've had a lot of assignments where they're like, "Please come in. We're so short," but. I've had a few of those. Uh, it's interesting, but yeah, it is really nice. You only work three days a week, four days off a week is amazing, especially when you're new to an area and you want to check things out. There's so many opportunities for either doing nothing or doing so much. Been out in the Pacific Northwest recently and really just been getting into like hiking and more of that nature stuff. Kim's a hiker. I, I, I do like it. That's why it's it's a little bit harder for me in Tejas down here because there's not, you know, huge national parks where I'm at. But it's been right. fun because I've, I've been able to do different things to experience the area, you know, and that's part of the fun of doing travel nursing and travel RT is the stuff that you wouldn't normally do if you were at one place for an extended amount of time. I mean, we went, what, we went fishing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had never done that, and I never would have thought of doing that, but that's because I lived in, like, Colorado and Arizona. Why would I go fishing in a landlocked state? Right. Well, that's something I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to go on the ocean on a boat and go fishing, and you did it in an inflatable T-Rex costume, which I give you so much credit for. You know, that was the beginning of the T-Rex, I think. I think that was the first time I wore it, was on our fishing excursion. Uh-huh. Oh, and I got to be there for that. That's you got beautiful. to be there for I the first it. time, because now that is just who I am, apparently, is a T-Rex inside of a nurse. Have you named, have you named the T-Rex? I keep calling the T-Rex suit Rexy, like Sir Rex a lot, and like okay. Rexy lives. because Rexy is unoriginal, and I know you can be better than that. I like Sir Rex a lot, but then it's weird yeah. because I'm doing it, so sometimes I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't call it Sir Rex a lot. Ma- <laughs> Madam Rex a lot. Sexy Rexy. I was thinking about that. Uh, I think one of the hashtags I have on Instagram is uh, keep it Rexy or like bringing Rexy back or something. Ooh, yeah. Maybe you could ask for uh, names. You could have a naming competition for the Rex. That's true. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Well, how about but, um, how about we end with a with this one? What is the best part for you about being an RT? Or did we do that? And you can wrap it up into this I, one. What would you do instead of being an RT? Oh my goodness. Why don't we start with that and uh, then we could go with the best part. So, if you didn't do RTness and and make the people breathe, what would you right. do instead? Would you still be in medicine yeah. or would you go somewhere else completely different like, you know, be more into oh. nature and, and outdoorsy, what would you do? Yeah, there's so many things I could say to this. But I think um, if I weren't a respiratory therapist, if I had not gone to school for whatever I went to school for first, I think it would have been really great to be either a perfusionist or, my gosh, I, I really, I think, like, the different therapies are great because they have more of a 9-to-5 schedule, which sounds fabulous when you're working night shift. But I don't I- know that I would... I don't know that I would change things because what I would love to do is travel. Right. And that's what I get to do with this particular offshoot of respiratory therapy, which is really nice. So I don't know that I would really change anything. I think perfusionists would have been cool because they make a lot more money. That's but- true. They make so much money. If anybody who's listening to this actually looks up perfusionist don't because you're going to start crying about how you wasted a lot of your life and you should have been a perfusionist because I made that mistake about six months ago and I was like oh my god what have I been doing I know and when you you meet them and you're like I could do that but the thing is is like one of the schools I know in Wisconsin only takes seven people into their program a year 
So, I mean, it's limited. There aren't a lot of schools. I don't know that I'd change anything. I, I think this was a good choice, and, you know, we'll see what happens. But I get to travel, like, to check things off my list of things, like go, uh, go deep-sea fishing with the T-Rex. That was definitely on there. Order one of everything on the menu and uh, get in a cab and say, follow that car. Those are also on my list. I definitely have wanted to do uh-huh. that, like to be slightly out of breath and like hop into a car and be like, follow that car. Yes. Ideally in a trench coat or something like really dramatic. Like with a briefcase just that color. holds just like Ritz crackers. Right. right. Again, and like then, that like, episode really of Seinfeld sweet. where like Kramer goes to work and right. he only brings crackers and he just eats them at his desk the whole day. <laughs> that's what I, that's my <laughs> dream job. Oh, yeah. Is that your dream job? <laughs> Just to eat saltines all day. Maybe like a saltine quality um, assurance associate. This one is stale. Throw it away. I'll, <laughs> no, I'll eat it. Never mind. Let's wrap it up with that, with the question, which is what's the best part? Okay. What is, yeah, what is the best part for you about being an RT? Well, I get I've always liked helping people. I know that sounds a little bit cliche, but, no. you know, making people feel better seeing your work positively affect people and they get to go home or they're more comfortable or their family's more comfortable they're more comfortable with what's going on in the hospital answering their questions it's just on a really basic level i think that's really important so you would say that you love what you do i do yeah i mean you do too right yeah, I would say that even on the worst days that you come home and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty lucky to do what I do. Right. You interact with people on like the worst days of their lives sometimes. But I mean, that makes it maybe a little bit more special to be able to be there with somebody when their world's kind mm-hmm. of imploding in a right. way. That could, right. That's easily the worst day of that person's life. And you get to be like, well, let me help you in some way, shape or form. Right. Most people like to be able to affect that positive change in the world. So I'm going to close it out with some would you rather questions. Please. All right. I'm a little bit nervous about this because usually I don't want to do, obviously nobody does, but I really just don't want to do either. Oh, so you're one of those people who I'm going to do neither. And everyone goes, you got to pick one. And you're like, no. And then you leave it at that. Yeah, but I'm ready for it. Let's do it. Okay, here we go. Would you rather with no anesthetic have your arm hacked off with a with an axe or have your eye cut out with a scalpel that's really horrible uh don't say neither okay neither but um (laughs) i'm really afraid of eyes oh isn't uh, it gross like whenever people come in with eye stuff mm -hmm. oh my gosh have you ever dissected an eye like it's like a grape it's disgusting we Um, had to do cow eyes in high school yeah it was gross but I would rather be without one eye than without one arm, so I'd go with the eye. So you'd rather cut your eye out? Remember you wouldn't have any... No, I'd rather be... Yeah, yeah, the eye, the eye, gross. Yeah, you're right. Eye. <laughs> Final, Final answer. answer. <laughs> okay, that's kind of gross. I don't know. I feel like I could live my life without my arm. Really? Yeah. If it's my left arm, I'm going to be all right. So that's in and of itself a great opening line. Because, you know, your left arm's gone, so you're all right. Oh, my God. You're so dad jokey. I know. I can't shut it off. I'm Uh, so sorry. Next question. Okay. (laughs) Would you rather know when every person you meet will die, like the exact date and time, but you can't prevent it? Or Uh know how everyone you meet will die and you can prevent it if it is medical and you figure out when? Um, Definitely the second one. So you want to because save people? Because I was people? just going to say, with the first one, if I know when, how can I not try to prevent it? I don't know. I think I it's going to be... the second one, then you'd have to worry about people you don't care about. Like, do I, do I care when they die? Is there, like, a sign over their head? How do I know? Is there, like, a text message? Did you ever see that music video for uh, Nickelback Saving Me? Don't even judge me for that. Because in that music video, everybody has, like, this clock over their head that's counting down. And Oh, wow. And if, and only, like, one, the guy in, like, the music video can see it, and then he saves this lady's life, and then all of a sudden he can't see anyone's clocks, but she can. Oh. It was okay. Good, go watch that music video. I endorse it. No, I don't. It's Nickelback. Never mind. Oh, you endorse the video, not the song. Actually, it's a good song. I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. You can like a Nickelback song. 
Okay, that's 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 gonna be the way I end this. I think. No. It's okay to like Nickelback. No, we have one more. Would you rather? Oh, okay. Let's do this. Okay, we're gonna do this. So, would you rather be stuck in the weird side of YouTube or like the gross medical side of YouTube, like those videos with the pimple popper, or like the weird side of YouTube where it's just like random videos of just randomness? So I'd be stuck in there forever? Yeah, like you'd live there. Oh, um, Or, wait, no, well, I don't know if you'd live there. Maybe just, like, that's the only video that you would see. Randomness. Have you ever seen that pimple popper? Yeah, it's disgusting. Like, part of me is like, ooh, and then the other part of me is like, that's gross. Yeah, and I can vividly remember every video I've seen of the Dr. Pimple Popper because it will not leave my brain. So I I can't imagine watching that on nonstop repeat. She has a show now on TLC, which isn't bad for having... Yeah. yeah, she... I mean, she still has her Snapchat, but, I mean, she started off with, what, Snapchat and Instagram, and now she has a show. She's famous. Miracles happen when you believe. That's a Myra song. Well, do you have any inspirational words to close out our our little discussion about respiratory therapy, things that you wish people will know, take away from... <laughs> I don't know about Instagram inspirational okay um, cross out inspirational what would you want people to know about respiratory therapy and rts and what they do like what's the thing Um, that you get frustrated by that people don't know i guess i just want to emphasize that you know i i think it's a valuable part of a hospital and i think it's something that it's a teamwork environment and it's it's something that is really beneficial and i hope that in the future it's also beneficial kind of an on-the-fly answer but no, you're speaking no. from the heart. <laughs> and I also hope it's something that uh, people consider and look into and something that continues to grow and, you know, diversify. It, it's kind of a new profession, so that's a little bit exciting, and, and we'll see what happens. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, man, you are my second medical professional that is also my friend Hi. that also agreed to be on a podcast, so... Yeah, without even bribing. Well... Yeah, no, I didn't have any wine to give you, so yeah, I didn't I didn't bribe you at all. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you can't mail wine from Texas, can you? Um, if you put it in a different bottle, you can. That's creative. I like it. Yes. Thanks for being here with me for this interview and a, and and bringing sort of a, a profile spotlight to to respiratory therapy because you're right, not not a lot of people know about it. So, that's kind of why yeah, I was like I'm glad I yeah, I was like, I gotta talk to Amanda about it because she's basically the only RT I know, but also because she's very awesome and great to talk to and is welcome back anytime yeah. to... Thank you. So thinking of me. Yeah, to, to kind of break down, maybe one day we can do something about what happens during a code and we can talk about all our roles. Oh, yeah. Definitely a good idea. There's so much standing around during a code, I feel like. I just did it this morning. It's really impressive. They'll figure out something where maybe we can have a little bit of a round table about like movie codes and TV codes versus real codes. God, yes, that's my ideal job. I want to be on a movie set and be like, like the medical advisor. Yeah, yeah, that's not accurate. Hmm. We wouldn't do that. Why is he talking? <laughs> he can't talk right now. Does that make you mad? when you see these movies and people are intubated and tubed on TV and it's like not even at all a tube because uh, it it makes me so mad when I see like the way they do IVs on people in movies and how like they wake up and it's all dramatic and they don't know where they are and they rip out their IV and there's no blood that comes out. I'm like, that wouldn't happen. There'd be much more tape. They'd also maybe be in a restraint if they woke up from a coma. Right. Or you're in Kill Bill and you suddenly wake up after months laying in bed and all of a sudden you can get up and move around and kick people's asses. Muscles don't work like but, that. No, they don't. <laughs> It'd be amazing. But uh, that would be, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a story and I get that, but there's a certain point that like, uh, there's a lot of people in our generation that work in healthcare. We're taking care of the baby boomers and all that. And there's a lot of people that are going to be like, that's bullshit. I can't pay attention to the rest of your story now. I'm distracted. Three doctors aren't going to go and ambulate a patient. That never happens ever. Right. Never. Doctors don't perform CTs. <laughs> oh, my God. Even, 
even at the house hospital, they don't do CTs. No, I mean, a doctor will go in during a trauma to the CT or during a stroke, and that's about it. And that's it. Scrubs is the most accurate hospital show. I would agree. Scrubs? Well, you know that the guy who wrote Scrubs wrote it because his college roommate was going to med school. So oh, so okay. he, he asked him questions after the guy became a doctor about, like, what was it like being a first year and what was it like going through this and that? And that's why he made it as accurate as it was, is because he actually listened to his friend. Okay. Yeah, I, lear- I learned that not too long ago because I love Scrubs. I think it's, like, it's probably one of the more medically accurate shows about, like, emotions and what goes on and the personalities you meet yeah but i do love er because it's just classic classic clooney that is a classic because you didn't know any better when you first started watching er no classic clooney oh yeah when he had dark hair Mm -hmm. he looks all right (laughs) now but young george clooney young george clooney can get it so amanda thanks for being here with me and and uh sharing a little bit about what respiratory therapy and respiratory therapists do. I would ask you, be like, how can people reach you? But actually, if you reach any RTs, that's probably not good in terms of you're not in a good spot if you don't just know them casually offhand uh, in your daily life. So if you do encounter an RT or your family member does, don't be afraid to ask questions about what they do. You should ask questions of all your healthcare providers, no matter doctor, nurse, RTs, so that Absolutely. you become more yes. informed. And and that's part of the whole reason why I've, I'm doing this sort of podcast is so people aren't afraid to ask people questions who wear scrubs because we're all humans. And just because we have a little bit of education and knowledge base or a lot of in terms of doctors and and how much schooling they go to doesn't mean that you can't ask us questions and it means you should so absolutely yeah advocacy is mass it's huge if you're a family member and you've seen the patient from dawn till dusk and many days in a row you might know something that we don't and that's something that's really important to contribute yep so i I agree completely with that so Um, i also have a shameless plug yes do it Come on, talk um, to me. Working at a website for travelers, um, not just RTs. RNs, you guys have all these support resources. You're Thank also you. welcome, um, but it's physical therapists, occupational therapists, CNAs, everybody. You can travel. There's opportunities. Just look into it. But what I'm trying to do is have a, a review site for travel hospitals because there's a lot of people go into these hospitals blind. Most of the places I've worked at, I don't know anybody. I don't know anything. And so it would be nice to know a few things, kind of like a Yelp review or a Google review. So I bought a website, and I'm struggling through the process of making it because I'm not tech savvy, but I'm working on it. It's called Travelers or TravelHospitalReview.com, and I'm hoping I can get that off the ground fairly soon and um, get that out there so we can all kind of help each other out, you know, give us... Maybe give a few insights about some things you wish you knew before you started um, as a traveler. Uh, Glassdoor, other things are available for people that are full-time, but travelers, we don't have a lot to fall back on. So it seems like we just need to help each other out. And I completely agree with that. So on that level, I'm probably somewhat involved in it a little bit. Definitely, if there are questions about traveling and being a healthcare provider in traveling or if you're considering it or if you know somebody who is you can reach out to me and and I can give you the proper links um in order to get in touch with myself or with Amanda if you want to um know more about that avenue so any other projects that you're working on that's kind of the big one (laughs) that's the big one yeah It's no worries. I, I, I understand a little bit about, about that sort of lifestyle of undertaking some things to help out your, your fellow healthcare providers and, and the healthcare community. So Amanda's doing something really great. And if you want to contribute to it or you want to know more about it, definitely reach out to me on my various links and social media. We will wrap it up by saying it's been great to have you on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and thanks for giving a little bit of a profile about respiratory therapy. Absolutely, anytime. Thanks so much again to Amanda. So I hope you enjoyed this month's nursing note. I certainly did. I probably have slept with a nightlight for the past few nights because of this. So thanks again goes out to Amanda for making spooky story time amazing. 
And I will see all of you here next Monday for a brand new episode of People Are Wild. Have a safe weekend and please drink and celebrate whatever you celebrate responsibly.